Chapter 11, Experiments. The first of June. The kings are off to the seashore tomorrow, and I'm free. Three months vacation. How I shall enjoy it, exclaimed Meg, coming home one warm day to find Joe laid upon the sofa in an unusual state of exhaustion, while Beth took off her dusty boots and Amy made lemonade. Aunt March went today for, oh, be joyful, said Joe. I shall lie abed late and do nothing, replied Meg from the depths of the rocking chair. I've laid in a heap of books, said Joe, and I'm going to read on my perch in that old apple tree. Don't let us do any lessons, Beth, for while for a while, but play all the time and rest as the girls mean to, said Amy. Well, I will if mother doesn't mind. I want to learn some new songs. May we, mother? asked Meg, turning to Mrs. March, who sat sewing in what they called Marmy's Corner. You may try your experiment for a week and see how you like it. I think by Saturday night you will find that all play and no work is as bad as all work and no play. Oh, no, it will be delicious, I'm sure, said Meg complacently. Next morning, Meg did not appear until 10 o'clock. Her solitary breakfast did not taste nice, and the room seemed lonely and untidy, for Joe had not filled the vases. Beth had not dusted, and Amy's books lay scattered about. Nothing was neat and pleasant but Marmy's corner, which looked as usual. There, Meg sat to rest and read, which meant yawn and imagine what pretty summer dresses she would get with her salary. Joe spent the morning on the river with Lori and the afternoon reading and crying over the wide, wide world up in the apple tree. Beth began by rummaging everything out of the big closet, but getting tired before half done, she left it topsy-turvy and went to her music, rejoicing that she had no dishes to wash. Amy arranged her bower, put on her best white frock, and sat down to draw under the honeysuckles, hoping someone would see and inquire who the young artist was. No one appeared but an inquisitive daddy longlegs, so she went for a walk, got caught in a shower, and came home dripping. At tea time, they compared notes, and all agreed that it had been a delightful, though unusually long, day. Meg discovered the blue muslin she had bought herself that afternoon wouldn't wash. Joe had burned all the skin off her nose boating and got a headache by reading too long. Beth was worried by the confusion of her closet and the difficulty of learning three or four songs at once. And Amy deeply regretted the damage done her frock, for Katie Brown's party was to be the next day and she had nothing to wear. But they assured their mother the experiment was working finely. She smiled, said nothing, and with Hannah's help did their neglected work. It was astonishing what a peculiar and uncomfortable state of things was produced by the resting and reveling process. The days kept getting longer, tempers were variable, and an unsettled feeling possessed everyone. Meg found time hung heavily, and Joe read until her eyes gave out and got so fidgety and even good-natured Lori quarreled with her. Beth got on pretty well, but Amy fared worst of all, for her resources were small. No one would own that they were tired of the experiment, but by Friday night, each acknowledged to herself that she was glad the week was nearly done. Hoping to impress the lesson more deeply, Mrs. March gave Hannah a holiday, and when they got up at Sunday morning, there was no breakfast in the dining room and no mother. Mercy on us, what's happened? cried Joe. Meg ran upstairs and soon came back, looking relieved, but bewildered and a little ashamed. Mother isn't sick, only tired, and she says she is going to stay quietly in her room all day and let us do the best we can. She says it has been a hard week for her. 
I like the idea, said Jill quickly. It was an immense relief to them all to have a little work, and they took hold well with Will, but soon realized the truth of Hannah's saying, housekeeping ain't no joke. Beth and Amy set the table, while Meg and Joe got breakfast. I shall take some soup up to Mother, though she said we weren't to think of her, said Meg. A tray was fitted out and taken up. The boiled tea was bitter, the omelette scorched, and the biscuits speckled with salt. But Mrs. March received her repast with thanks and laughed heartily after Joe had gone. Many were the complaints below to the great, great to the cook's chagrin. Never mind, I'll get dinner, said Joe, who knew less than Meg about culinary affairs. Margaret retired to the parlor, which she hastily put in order by whisking the litter under the sofa and shutting the blinds to save the trouble of dusting. Joe, with perfect faith in her own powers, immediately put a note in the post office inviting Laurie to dinner. You'd better see what you've got before you think of having company, said Meg when informed of it. Oh, there's corned beef and plenty of potatoes, and I shall get some asparagus and a lobster. We'll have lettuce and make a salad. I don't know how, but the book tells. I'll have blancmange and strawberries for dessert and coffee, too, if you want to be elegant. Don't make too many messes, for you can't make anything but gingerbread and molasses candy. I wash my hands at the dinner party. You'll give your advice, won't you? asked Joe. Yes, but I don't know much except about bread. You had better ask Mother before you order anything, returned Meg prudently. Get what you like, said Mrs. March when Joe spoke to her. I'm going out to dinner and can't worry about things at home. I never enjoyed housekeeping, and I'm going to take a vacation today and read, write, go visiting, and amuse myself. The unusual spectacle of her busy mother rocking comfortably and reading early in the morning made Joe feel as if an eclipse, an earthquake, or a volcanic eruption would hardly have seemed stranger. Everything is out of sorts somehow, she said to herself going downstairs. There's Beth crying. If Amy is bothering her, I'll shake her. Joe hurried into the parlor to find Beth sobbing over Pip the canary, who lay dead in the cage with his little claws pathetically extended. It's all my fault. I forgot him. There isn't a seed or a drop left. Oh, Pip. Oh, Pip, how could I be so cruel to you? cried Beth. Now don't cry, Bethy. The funeral shall be this afternoon and we'll all go. Leaving the others to console Beth, Joe departed to the kitchen which was in a most discouraging state of confusion. Putting on a big apron, she fell to work. Having rekindled the fire, she thought she would go to market while the water heated. The walk revived her spirits. She trudged home with a very young lobster, some very old asparagus, and two boxes of acid strawberries. By the time she got cleaned up, the stove was red hot. Hannah had left a pan of bread to rise. Meg had worked it up early, set it on the hearth for a second rising, and forgotten it. Meg was entertaining Sally Gardner in the parlor when the door flew open and a flowery, flushed, disheveled creature appeared, demanding tartly, I say, isn't the bread riz enough when it runs over the pans? Sally began to laugh, but Meg nodded and lifted her eyebrows as high as they would go, which caused the apparition to vanish and put the sour bread into the oven. Mrs. March went out, and a strange sense of helplessness fell on the girls as the gray bonnet vanished around the corner. Despair seized them when a few minutes later Miss Crocker appeared and said she had come to dinner. She was a thin spinster with a sharp nose and inquisitive eyes who saw everything and gossiped. The dinner Joe served became a standing joke. Fearing to ask any more advice, she did her best alone and discovered that something more than energy and goodwill is necessary to make a cook. She boiled the asparagus for an hour, 
and was grieved to find the heads cooked off and the stalks harder than ever. The bread burned black, for the salad dressing aggravated her so that she let everything else go until she had convinced herself she could not make it fit to eat. The lobster was a scarlet mystery to her, but she hammered and poked until it was unshelled, and then concealed its meager proportions in a grove of lettuce leaves. The potatoes had to be hurried, not to keep the asparagus waiting, and were not done. The blancmange was lumpy, and the strawberries not as ripe as they looked. Well, they can eat beef and bread and butter if they're hungry, thought Joe, as she rang the bell half an hour later than usual. Hot, tired, and dispirited, she surveyed the feast. Laurie was accustomed to all sorts of elegance. Poor Joe would gladly have gone under the table as one thing after another was tasted and left. Amy giggled. Meg looked distressed. Miss Crocker pursed up her lips, and Laurie laughed and talked with all his might to give a cheerful tone to the festive scene. Joe's one strong point was the fruit, for she had sugared it well and had a pitcher of rich cream to eat with it. Her hot cheeks cooled a trifle. She drew a long breath as the pretty glass plates went around and everyone looked graciously at the little rosy islands floating in a sea of cream. Miss Crocker tasted first, made a wry face, and drank some water hastily. Joe, who had refused, thinking there might not be enough, glanced at Laurie, but he was eating away manfully, though there was a slight pucker about his mouth, and he kept his eyes fixed on his plate. Amy, who was fond of delicate fare, took a heaping spoonful, choked, hid her face in her napkin, and left the table. "'Oh, what is it?' exclaimed Joe, trembling. "'Salt instead of sugar, and the cream is sour,' replied Meg. Joe groaned, fell back in her chair, and remembered that she had given a last hasty powdering to the berries out of one of the two boxes on the kitchen table. She had neglected to put the milk in the refrigerator. She turned scarlet and was on the verge of crying when she met Laurie's eyes which would look merry in spite of his heroic efforts. The comical side of the affair suddenly struck her, and she laughed until the tears ran down her cheeks. So did everyone else, even Croker, as the girls called the old lady, and the unfortunate dinner ended gaily with bread and butter, olives and fun. "'I haven't the strength of mind to clear up now, so we will sober ourselves for a funeral,' said Joe as they rose. At the conclusion of the ceremonies, Beth retired to her room, overcome with emotion and lobster." But there was no place for repose, for the beds were not made. She found her grief much assuaged by beating up pillows and putting things in order. Meg helped Joe clear away the remains of the feast, which took half the afternoon, and left them so tired they agreed to be content with tea and toast for supper. Laurie took Amy to drive, which was a deed of charity, for the sour cream seemed to have had a bad effect upon her temper. As twilight fell, one by one they gathered in the porch where the June roses were budding, and each groaned or sighed as she sat down. "'What a dreadful day this has been,' began Joe. "'It seems short, but so uncomfortable,' said Meg. "'Not a bit like home.' "'It can't be home without Marmee and little Pip,' sighed Beth. "'Here's Mother, dear, and you shall have another bird tomorrow.' As she spoke, Mrs. March came and took her place among them, looking as if her holiday had not been much pleasanter than theirs. "'Are you satisfied with your experiment, girls, or do you want another week?' "'I don't!' cried Joe decidedly. "'Nor I!' echoed the others. "'You think, then, that it is better to have a few duties and live a little for others, do you?' "'Lounging doesn't pay,' observed Joe, shaking her head. "'I'm tired of it and mean to go to work at something right off.' 
"'Suppose you learn plain cooking. "'That's a useful accomplishment, which no woman should be without,' said Mrs. March, "'laughing inaudibly at the recollections of Joe's dinner party, "'for she had met Mrs. Crocker. "'Mother, did you go away and let everything be just to see how we'd get on?' cried Meg. "'Yes, I wanted you to see how comfort and all depends on doing her share faithfully.' While Hannah and I did your work, you got on pretty well, though I don't think you were ever happy or amiable. Don't you feel that it is pleasanter to help one another so that home may be comfortable and lovely to us all? We do, mother, we do, cried the girls. Very good. Then I am quite satisfied with the experiment, were Mrs. March's final words. <laughs>